Thank you, Lord. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Hosanna. Glory to God in the highest. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, you can be seated in the presence of the Lord and in the company of God's saints. And we do honor the Lord for the opportunities given unto us to be uh, here at Faith Christian Center one more time. We had a wonderful time yesterday together with your men. And uh, the Lord just poured out himself in just a mighty way and uh, touched our lives and changed our lives. And it's good to be with you this morning and all week long. We ask uh, Pastor John to call up all your restaurants and tell them to restock on calamari. Uh, Which in my part of the world, fresh fish is fish that has not been frozen too long. And so when we come here, we not only enjoy wonderful fellowship with Pastor John and Anita and with this church, but also seeing so many familiar faces and the wonderful uh, time that we have in fellowship over meals. We also thank the Lord for the growth that we see happening in the saints of God in this church. And we just pray that you would just be increased more and more and more and continue to make an impact in this New England area. We had a number of pastors that were participating with us in our men's event yesterday. And for that, I give the Lord thanksgiving. And for that, I give the Lord praise. My Bible this morning is open to Deuteronomy chapter six. And why don't you join me there? Deuteronomy chapter six. As we begin our time together, uh, this uh, time as we are walking in the things of God and walking in the covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy chapter six, if you'll come there with me, we'll begin our time. Our theme this week is building community, building community. And uh, we're going to work from that theme and um, lay some foundation on this morning and then continue to build on top of that foundation during the course of the week. But if there was ever a time in the kingdom of God that our communities were in trouble, this is a season It seems like when we look among the nations, as well as among our nation, we see communities in trouble all over the world. When communities are in trouble, if you can get enough communities in trouble in a nation, then the nation itself is in trouble. And yet I believe in God's word, he has set forth the nature of community and what it looks like. And we believe that God is going to do some great things in building his community, the kingdom of God, the church. And letting the church now overflow into the communities that we live in here in New England. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart will be acceptable in thy sight. Because you, O Lord, are strength and our redeemer. We pray also that you might minister your grace towards us. Thank you for meeting us in a very powerful way in our praise and worship. And now the entrance of your word brings light and understanding to the soul and how shall young men cleanse their ways except for by taking heed unto your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here to change and transform our lives. And Father, even as we join the worshiping community all over New England, Father, speak a specific word to this church this morning. Use me to your glory that your name might be glorified. In Jesus name we pray and everyone said. Amen. Listen, Deuteronomy is part of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
The first five books of the Bible were written by revelation by a man named Moses. God begins to give him insight from the beginning all the way to the formation of a man named Abraham and the covenant God establishes with him. And from Abraham to the formation of a people and a people to a nation. In Deuteronomy, we find in that particular book, it's a retelling of the law. God in his Deuteronistic style of the Old Testament will say something and then he'll repeat it because in the mouth of two or three witnesses, truth is established. It's almost like when you read the book of Genesis, you read the headlines in Genesis 1, and God says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So he gives you the headlines and then he backs off in Genesis 2, 7. And then he says, and God formed man from the dust of the earth. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And then he shows man exercising his dominion authority over the earth, which was his original mandate, naming the animals. And then he shows man going to sleep and God separating from him a side section and forming a a woman. And then he shows how he brings them back together in their one new unit. And God says to them, he blesses them again. And now they are bone of each other's bone and flesh of their flesh. And uh, now they are one together and naked and not ashamed. God has a way of saying things in headlines and then coming back. Deuteronomy then is a book where they have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And now they have come back to Kedesh Barnea and they're getting ready to enter into the land. Before they enter into the land after 40 years of rebellion in the wilderness and an entire generation has died off. God sets Moses down and he says, Tell them again my law. Tell them my standard. Tell them again my commandments, my principles that he calls statutes and my judgments. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse number 1, it says, Now this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God commands you to teach, that you might observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. That you may fear the Lord your God with all your, with all your, with all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your sons and your grandsons and all the days of your life that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, that it may be well with you, that it may be well with you, that it may be well with you and that you may uh, multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as signs on your hands and they shall be as frontless Between your eyes should write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And it shall be 
when the Lord your God brings you into the land, which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities, which you did not build. Houses full of goods, which you did not feel. Hewed out wells, which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage, the word of the Lord. As we read this particular text, I want you to pay attention to verse number three and verse number four, where he says, therefore, hear, O Israel, in verse number four, hear, O Israel. You know, God is a God that speaks to the individual. But in this text, he doesn't speak to the individual. He speaks to the community. And I think that it's important for us to understand that God is not only interested in speaking to us as individuals, but he also has a communal word that needs to be spoken to the community here. Oh, Israel, a community is a group of people that are living Together in a particular area, community is a interacting population of various kinds of individual community is also a group of people of common characteristics and interests living together in a larger society. A community is a group of people linked by common policy. A community has two basic ideals, common unity, community. And common unity, community, is what God speaks to when he says, Therefore hear, O Israel, and hear, O Israel. In Jewish synagogues, there is spoken at the beginning of the liturgical experience, the worship experience, the Shema, which means to hear. We come to the Lord's house, not just to talk, but also to hear. And it's important what we hear. Do you understand that the mess that we're in in the world we are in today is because one man listened to the wrong voice. Everything that we are in, in terms of chaos, confusion, is because one man listened to the wrong voice. Do you know that Genesis 1 and 2 are your perfect chapters? Because in Genesis 1 and 2, you see man, the male and the female, God, And Satan in the earth before sin. You see God, the male and the female, Satan in the earth before sin. The first two chapters of your Bible. We see the perfect chapters. We see life as God intended it. God, the male and female, Satan in the earth before sin. Your perfect chapters. You ought to read the first four pages of your Bible. Because it's the only way that you know what God is trying to get us back to. If I am being redeemed, if I am being restored, I need to understand the original intent of God. And that is found in Genesis 1 and 2. Look at your neighbor and tell them, read the first four pages of your Bible. If you don't read anything else, you ought to read at least the first four pages of your Bible. Come on, y'all. Stop playing. Read the first four pages of your Bible because there you get God's original intent. Now, 
What happens to interrupt this process? Genesis chapter three, for the first time, man hears a different voice. And one man listening to the wrong voice gets us in all the mess that we're in. Everything from Genesis chapter three to the end of the book of the Revelation is nothing but a remedy to what happened when one man listened to the wrong voice and got us in all the mess we're in. I went to a women's forum a few years ago called the Women's Forum on African-American Women. And they were talking about why women weren't advancing the barriers that African-American women were having in the marketplace and in corporate America. And the last day they called in some men. They called in a retired uh, military colonel. They called in a scholar that was African-American PhD and they called in a preacher, me. And they said, we want to let you know that in our forum, we also want to talk about some of the challenges African-American women, both professionals, blue collar workers and in general have with African-American males. And the moderator started off, he said, before you men say anything, I want you to know, and this is what she said, my basic belief is that men are the problem. And I said, oh, God, have you ever said yes to something? And then after somebody says something, you say, oh, God, why did I ever say yes to this? Why am I the only one? I do internal chatter and I say scales another fine mess you've gotten yourself into. And then a woman started off and she said, men are the big problem. She said, think about it, mental health, mental illness, mental anxiety, mental stress. She says, as a young woman, the worst time of my month is called a menstrual cycle. She said, and even when I get old, I got to deal with men menopause. Another fine mess you've gotten yourself into, Scales. And one man listening to the wrong voice got us in all the problems we're in. Everything that we read in the Bible from Genesis 3 on is nothing but a first aid kit, an emergency room. It is emergency medical treatment for God's perfect creation that we see in Genesis 1 and 2. If you want to understand the world and if you want to understand where we are, read the first six pages of your Bible. The first four will give you the perfect chapters in the Bible. The next two will tell you how we got in the mess we're in. Would you help me preach and tell your neighbor, read the first six pages of your Bible. Go ahead and tell them. Because there are so many people that make comment on the Bible and they never have read the Bible. It's only 1,500 pages. You could read 100 pages a day. Oh, no, you could read 15 pages a day for 100 days. That's a little bit over three months. You read all the way through the Bible. And I'm surprised at the amount of people that make comment on the Bible never have read it from cover to cover. It's ignorant to make comment on things that you have not read. And friends, the first three chapters... Answers are in Genesis why we're in the trouble. God wants to bring us out of that trouble. And he knows that the way that we come out of trouble is that we must hear his voice. Genesis, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 3. He forms this nation called Israel, but Israel is unique among the nations. 
All other nations out of the diaspora that happens at Babel in Genesis chapter 11 were formed because when they spread forth by the confusion of languages, people formed nations around geography. They formed uh, nations around common interests. They also formed language uh, uh, of nations around common language, geography, common interests, common language. Israel was the first nation that God says it's not just going to be common geography, common interests and common language. What I'm going to do to form this nation is I'm going to give you my law and then I'm going to form this nation around my law. He says, I want you, Israel, to be a model nation so that folks might understand among the nations what the nation should be and how they should behave under the government of God. I'm forming you around my law. And he said, and the reason I'm doing this, Deuteronomy 6, 3, is uh, therefore hear, O Israel. He said, and observe to do it. He said, because I want it to go well with you all. I want it to go well with you. God speaks to the community, hear, O Israel, therefore hear, O Israel. God wants it to go well with all. He wants it to go well with white people and black people and brown people and red people and yellow people. He wants it to go well with all. He wants it to go well with people that are wealthy and people that are rich and people that are upper middle class and middle class and people that are lower middle class and people who may be poor and those who may be even in poverty. God wants it to go well with all. He wants it to go well with people that are scholars, people which are PhDs, people that are educated, people that have minimal education, people who are professionals and executives and managers and supervisors, as well as blue collar workers and laborers and even people that are unemployed. God wants it to go well with all. He says, listen, if you will do what I tell you to do and observe to do my commands, and if you will take passionate parenting as a principle and not only you learn it, but pass it on to your children and to your grandchildren. And if you'll talk about it when you walk in the way, when you talk about it, when you rise up, if you'll talk about it, when you lay down, if you'll talk about it, when you sit in the house, he says, so that I can fulfill my covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I want you to understand, says the Lord, that I'm a transgenerational God. I want you bless your children, bless and your grandchildren blessed. And he said, and if you'll teach it to your children and to your grandchildren, he says, when you come into the land that I'm bringing you into, I'm calling it, God says, a land of milk and honey. Milk is symbolic of life. Honey is symbolic of sweetness. He says, I'm bringing you into the sweet life that the New Testament calls the abundant life. He said, I'm taking you into a place where you're going into cities that you did not even construct. You're going to live in houses that you did not feel. You're going to drink out of wells that you did not dig. You're going to take and you're going to pick from vineyards and from olive trees that you did not plant. He then says, and when you are eaten and when you are full, when you've tasted of my abundance, beware that you don't forget the Lord. It says, well, he's the one that brought you out of Pharaoh's narrative. I brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage and brought you into my narrative. And he said, if you will not forget the Lord. 
Then I will bring you into the land that I am promising you. Two basic ideals this morning. God then speaks to the community. And he just doesn't speak to the individual. And in America, I know we're built on free enterprise, manifest destiny, rugged individualism. We value the right of the individual. But God not only speaks to the individual in his kingdom, he speaks to the community. His kingdom is the king's domain. And the representation of the kingdom of God is called the kingdom of God, his church. And he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Should love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. The first big idea is that God speaks to the community. And I trust this week God's going to speak to all of us, our common unity, that which we hold together because the kingdom is that which is held together by public policy. And our public policy in our kingdom is called the Bible. It's the constitution of our kingdom. It's the way that you understand your rights, your privileges in our kingdom. And when you read the Bible, you're just not reading a historical document that was God breathed and God used. It's been explored by both opponents and proponents. It's been explored by critics and people that love the book. And it's been proven to be historically accurate. It's been proven to be truth. It's been proven when applied, it causes it to go well with all. And the first big ideal this morning is that God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God, he is one. God speaks to the community, and the community of God is called the kingdom of God, and its visible representation in the earth is called the church. But not only does God speak to the community, God then teaches them what he thinks about community. And the basic ideal is three points in the second ideal. I said I only had two points and the first point was that God speaks to the community. Second point is that God then shows them how to do community. And he says, community is made up of three different systems. The three systems that God says community is made out of is that there's a sacred system. There's an economic system and there's a governmental system. And God says, I speak to these systems in the book of Deuteronomy to show them how they ought to operate so that it will go well with all a sacred system, a governmental system and an economic system. Then God says, because I know you live in a corrupt world, Genesis chapter three, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send a person called a prophet into the midst of you and prophets are going to speak to these systems. The prophets, if these systems, the sacred system, the economic system and the governmental system ever get outside of the bounds of God, God raises up prophets to speak to those systems and call them back into alignment. Let's look at God speaking to systems when they come into the land. God then says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, will you join me there now? He says, I want you to establish, if you will, a faith system that I call a sacred system. This sacred system is a religious system. And this first system system in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Now, Israel, he speaks to the community. What does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord and to walk in his ways and to love and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? And to keep his commandments, Deuteronomy uh, 10, verse 13 says, that he goes on to say uh, that the Lord your God and his commandments, which I command you this day for your good. God wants it to go good with all. And he establishes a sacred system. Why a sacred system? Because a sacred system is designed to shape our values, what we esteem and what we hold as important and holy. 
the sacred system then is designed to pass on those values in Deuteronomy chapter 10, 12, and 13. And he passes on those values to the community. And what the Lord requires is that it goes on to the next generation. You see, this sacred system is designed, the church and its communities are designed to draw people closer to God. Not just to maintain buildings and properties and institutions. But we are designed to draw people closer to God. The religious system, the value shaping system was also to ensure that it went well with all. You see, many times God knows if I started with just shaping your behavior, I could have made you robots and programmed you to behave one way. Rather than making us robotic, God says, I'm going to give you the power of choice. But the way I'm going to help shape your choice is by a sacred system that changes your values. To understand this, understand in our culture right now, the United States of America, though it's only a small portion of the world's population, has more people incarcerated in our nation than any other nation in the world. We have more people in prison than any other nation in the world, though we're just small, a small portion of the world's population. 300 million people in our nation. Out of 6 billion people on the earth. Why do we do that? Because when somebody does something wrong in our community, the larger community, we put them in jail because of their behavior. Put them in jail for 36 months, 60 months, 72 months, and then we let them out. And many of them go and do the same thing, and they go right back in. So we put them in for another 48 months. This time we put them out. Six months on probation in my state. Up here, I understand probation a lot longer. And what happens is, when that person comes out, they're out for a little while, then they do the same thing. Why? Let me show you this diagram. I'm pulling down my screen. Everybody see my screen? Can y'all see it over there? Okay. Y'all right back here. I got my screen down here. Here's my magic marker. And uh, here's my diagram. I'm going to make a mountain, okay? Here's a mountain. Everybody see the mountain? I need verbal response. Okay, in the African-American community, we have what we call response. We have call and response. I say something, you say amen. Amen. It's call call and response, okay? So, I went over it again. Does everyone see the mountain? Now, at the top of the mountain, I'm making a water line. Everybody see the water line? All right. Now, above the water line, a little bit of mountain stuck out. That's what we might call an iceberg. Everything below the water line, you can't see. Just the tip of the iceberg's hanging out. Let me step up on the steps so I can reach it. Over here is what you call your behavior. That's what sticks up above the water line. But there's a whole lot more below the water line. See, on the bottom of this mountain is something called your worldview. Now, I know I'm kind of big and I'm blocking that. And you can't see it as clearly as you would want to. But it's called your worldview. And that's the bottom of your mountain. And that's the way you explain how everything exists and where everything came from and the purpose for which it is. Do you know why we're in here? Because my worldview is a Christian worldview. I believe in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
I believe that God created man. So I believe I'm a part of the creative genius of God. Now, because I'm part of that creative genius of God, I know that everybody has different levels of capacity of the creative genius of God. Some people are scholars in here. Some folks are smart. Some are intelligent. Some are educated, but Deuteronomy says, when you come into the land, don't forget that his Lord gave you everything. I know some of you graduated magnum cum laude. Some of you graduated soon cum laude. Some of you graduated cum laude. And some of y'all graduated thank the laude. So we have different, we have different intellectual capacities and it's true in every area of life but my bottom line in my worldview is I've created as a unique creation of God as a product of his divine creative genius people who ignore that worldview many of them think that we came from monkeys in fact there may be some of you in here that believe that so that when you go out to the Seekonk Zoo you go out to the chimpanzee case And you're going out there to visit your great, great grandmother. It's a worldview. That's what you believe. Now, your worldview shapes your values. Your values are what you esteem as important. It's what shapes the direction that you're going in life, your purpose. Values come out of your worldview. And the sacred system that God designs helps to say, these are the things that you esteem. These are the things that are to shape you. And your values then, in this mountain, I wrote down the word values. Now you got worldview. Everybody see that? You see the word values? You see that? Then out of your values will come your beliefs. And as a man thinketh in his heart, call and response, okay? So is he. So our worldviews, just underlined it, shape our values, shape our behaviors, and then that shapes, uh, shapes our beliefs, and that shapes our behaviors. Out of your behaviors come from all of these things. Therefore, I suggest this morning that it's foolishness just to throw a man in jail before his behavior, keeping there for 60 months, and then let him out. And do nothing to reshape his worldview, his values, and his beliefs. Because he's prone to do the same thing. Because before and under the waterline is a whole lot of other stuff. God says to build community. That's why I give you the church, the tabernacle, the community of faith, the sacred system. He said, because if you will walk in my ways and if you will love me and serve me and if you'll do what I command you to do and if you'll follow my statutes, which are my principles, he says, which I command you today. He said, this is for your good. I want it to be well with all. He gives us a sacred system. The value of coming to the house of the Lord on Sunday morning is an interruption of Pharaoh's narrative that you hear out there in the community all week long. Most of us are in worship two hours on Sunday morning. 24-7, that's 168 hours a week you're out there. Out there listening to CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. Getting all confused. 
And I'm surprised the preachers have listened to all that all week long. Because sometimes you hear more of that coming from the pulpit than you hear the word of God. I'm still an old fashioned preacher. Excuse me. I know I'm old school, but I still believe a preacher ought to read some Bible during the time that he's preaching. Why? Because we got the other narrative out there all week long. And we get a chance to come in here with our children, with our grandchildren and break that narrative off their life. That's been going on 168 hours a week. The church and the sacred community is established for the value shaping system to pass on God's values to our sons, our daughters and our grandchildren from one generation to another. Why? Because God wants it to go well with all. He then establishes in the midst of the community. He says, I know that there needs to be a governmental system set up. So God sets up a governmental system. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 16 now, because God, he does not leave anything to chance. He says, you're getting ready to go into the land that I promised unto you. So I'm setting up also a governmental system. And this system is going to assure some things also. And part of what it's going to ensure for my people is it's going to be ensuring that there will be a just non-perverted, free of bribes without partiality, distribution of God's land, God's goods, and God's services. Deuteronomy 16 and verse number 18, it says, and you shall appoint judges and officials in all your gates. And the Lord your God gives you according to your tribes, and you shall judge the people with just judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. You shall not take bribes. For bribes blind the wise and twist the words of righteous. You shall follow what is altogether just. That you may live and inherit the land which the Lord is giving you. God then established a governmental system. He tells him you're going to appoint judges, people that can weigh matters and sift and sort and find out what is right and what is good officials that will set in the gate to make sure that there's order because now we live in a chaotic world and chaos came in in Genesis chapter three when corruption came in and he said, yet when you appoint these officials, he says that these officials, he says, first of all, in verse number 19, he says that they shall not pervert justice. It says that they should not show partiality. They should not take bribes. They should be fair and equitable with everyone. He says about bribes, he said, because bribes in verse 19, bribes will blind the eyes of the wise and twist the words of righteousness. He said public officials ought to be free of taking money to influence them away from things that are just. Now, we don't call them bribes today. We call it lobbying. How is it that people can go to Washington, D.C., middle class, and after 10 years or 20 years, come out excessively wealthy? Lobbying, fund contributions. And he says, bribes will pervert justice. 
And he said, they will also blind the eyes to what is right. So God sets up this governmental system of judges and officials to make sure that justice is not perverted, is free from bribes, and is without partiality. God sets up a sacred system, pass on values, and then a political or governmental system to maintain order. Look at me in Deuteronomy 6, first of all. Deuteronomy 6, he also sets up an economic order. God said, Israel, be my model. Show other folks how to do this. Show other people how to do this so that when they establish nations, that they will look at you and see how blessed and how well it is going with all. And he says, and you shall be able to pass this on. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God then sets up an economic system. First of all, I want you in God's economic ideal is that he's a God of abundance, a God of love, a God of hope. And in Deuteronomy chapter six and verse number 10, it says, and it shall come to pass when the Lord your God brings you into the land, which I swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you beautiful cities that you did not build houses, uh, full of goods, uh, which you did not feel hewed out wells that you did not dig vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant when you have eaten and are full beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out. Of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. God then gives an economic system. And the economic system is for one purpose. That is to make sure that there's a free distribution of God's goods and services. What does that look like? Deuteronomy chapter 15. I said God's saying it again. This is not new information. He's just saying it again from the other uh, Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers. Now Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 15. Turn there. And let's look at this. What I find out in God's economic system. Big print and big idea. Is that God is over and against debt. But he is for forgiveness of debt. And God is also for the abundance of the entire community. Both the wealthy and the rich. And the poor. Deuteronomy 15. He says, now listen, every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. He says, this is from, this is a, this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his brother shall release it. And he shall require, it shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother because it is called the Lord's release. Every seven years, God knew the people were going to get in debt. And he says, and so there needs to be forgiveness of debt every seven years. Wouldn't that be a wonderful ideal in America? Okay, I heard I, this is call and response. Wouldn't that be a wonderful idea in America? All right. And then he says, now watch this about the internationals that are among us. He says of the international, you may require it. He says, but you shall give your claim uh, to what is owed by your brother. Forgive it. He said, let that one go. Give up that claim. He says, except when it may be, uh, be no poor in the land. For the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. Further, God says about the poor, he says in verse number seven, he says, and if there's, uh, if there is a of you, a poor man of your brother, and he's talking to the Israel, the nation, the community, he says, within any of your gates of the land, which the Lord thy God has given you, you shall not harden your hearts or shut your hand from the poor brother. God's ideal of economic freedom is he's over and against debt. He's for forgiveness of debt and he's for provision for the poor. He also tells his people, don't harden your heart. 
Deuteronomy chapter eight will say, you might say, I got this wealth and I got this power. I told you America's built on rugged individualism, free enterprise, manifest destiny and the right of the individual. But God says we need to, I want it to go good for all, not just you. So don't harden our hearts against the poor. Keep our hands open towards them. Verse number 11, he goes on with the poor. God must be concerned about this group because in verse number Deuteronomy 15, 11, he goes on. He says, for the poor will never cease out of land. There are always going to be some poor people around. Therefore, I command you, you shall open your hand wide to your brethren and to the poor and to the needy of your land. If your brother is a Hebrew, he gets more specific or a Hebrew woman is sold to you and serves you for six years. Then in the seventh year, you shall uh, let them go free. Now, not watch, watch his provision. After six years, the seven year, they get a chance to go free. He says, listen, listen. He says, when they go free, you cannot send them free. He says, you shall not let them go empty handed. They've worked as a slave or as an indentured servant, we probably say in America, for six years. He said, now when you let them go, you just can't have people enslaved and then just set them free with nothing. He said, when they go out, give them the best and liberally from your flocks. Give them some livestock so they can create business and live and go well. Give them something from your threshing floor, some seed and some grain so that they can plant. Because God wants it to go well with all. And he said, also, give them something from your wine press. Some of you know what the wine is for. Because if you've been a slave and you come out. With some economic bounty, flocks, and seed, you might want to party. <laughs> Glory to God. Hallelujah. hallelujah. If I was in Dominican Republic, they would say, hallelujah. <laughs> and friends, he says, give a little wine from your wine presses. He says, why? For what the Lord has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You know, even slaves that were set free from slavery in the United States when they let slaves go free about the 1800s, whether they were indentured servants, Europeans, by that time, most of them were African descent. They said, even the U.S. government said, you can't set all these free slaves free and not have anything in their hand. So they attached to the Emancipation Proclamation and Liberation from Freedom an economic package. The economic package is you folks get 40 acres and a mule. How many of y'all got that? Still waiting. It's coming. Somebody said, I hear faith talking in here. Okay. Now, now you can forget the mule, but I still want the 40 acres. Okay. And why did they do that? Because you just can't keep people enslaved and then set them free and say, we are. Right. Do you know when the war was over World War II, United States during World War II, when the Germans and the Japanese were our uh, enemies, America incarcerated and interned Japanese Americans and German Americans. When the war was over and they let them go, both of those groups brought a suit against the United States and the United States said, we just can't let them go because we denied them educational benefits. We denied them property. We took away their businesses and they gave them settlements. It was called repair reparations. When the Jews established Israel, they said, you just can't, and, and car, you can't kill billions, millions of people. 
take away their businesses, their freedom, educational opportunity, and then just say you're free. We're all right. Israel brought a suit against the world in the world court against Germany. They called it reparations. You got to repair this. Germany is still paying off that debt. And recently in the news last week, Greek said Germany still owes us money because they are in economic catastrophe. They said we want that debt paid now because you're behind in your payment. American Native Americans had economic debt paid back to them. They brought a suit against America. America established the Department of Interior Affairs. Part of that is the Department of Indian Affairs. And they pay when I was among the Navajo working for three summers. Listen, they Navajo men walk around and say, don't you guys have jobs? They said, jobs. I get a check from the U.S. government every month. I said, for what? He said, reparations. They took away our land, gave us disease, and they send us a check every month. Everybody has sent a bill, but people that look like me. I was in a forum. I said, well, Jews got paid. German Americans got paid. Japanese Americans got paid. Indians got paid. I said, it's time for me to get paid. Cha-ching. <laughs> I don't know if we ever get paid, but somehow to send the bill. Where does that whole ideal come from? God says, man, when somebody's worked for years for you. Comes into that six year and has been indentured servant, just can't set them free. But put something in their hand to use to establish their economic base. So God's economic system seems to be over and against debt. It's for release of debt. It seems for the economic freedom of everyone so that it goes well with all, Deuteronomy says. God says also if there's poor among the people, his economic program. Don't you close up your hands and your hearts to the poor, but keep your hands open to the poor. I have never seen a church go down that was ministering to the poor and doing international missions. Never. In my history, I'm only 64 years old, but I've watched this thing in 40 some years of ministry. And I've never seen a church go down that supports international missions and ministers to the poor. Because he that gives to the poor lends to the Lord. How would you like to give God a loan? He won't be a debtor to nobody. And tell me, I found out that when he repays, he does exceedingly and abundantly above all we're able to ask or think through the power that works within us. So God's economic program was for all. We know we live in a corrupt world because of Genesis chapter three answers are in Genesis. So even though God sets up a sacred system, governmental system and an economic system, God knows that there can be corruption. So you know what God does? He calls in prophets to hold systems accountable. Deuteronomy. Chapter 18, please. Turn there. This will be our last scripture this day, except for one over in Jeremiah as I close. Deuteronomy 18 this morning. Deuteronomy 18, 15. He calls prophets. Now, I know there's a lot of people running around calling themselves prophets today. But a lot of them, I never hear them speak to the systems that God speaks to them and tells them to hold them accountable. 
They prophesied rings and cars and all, reading people's credit card numbers, all kind of stuff. People doing all kind of stuff. But what did God call prophets to do? God called prophets to hold systems accountable. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses speaking in the midst of you from your brethren. Uh, him shall you hear. Moses was sent, raised up from the children of Hebrew children, sent to a governmental leader whose name was Pharaoh. Who had enslaved people, not six years, not seven years, but over 400 years. It says, according to all you desire of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly saying, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord, nor let me see the great fire anymore, lest I die. God invited the whole nation. They would complain. They were saying, Moses, the only one to hear from God. We want to hear from God too. God said, oh, y'all want to talk with me? Come on out. And when Moses going up in the mountain, all of a sudden this big cloud came on top of the mountain, all this thunder and lightning started happening, the earth started shaking. God says, y'all want to talk? Come on, come on. And they said, oh no, Moses, go tell us what he said. They all ran back in their tents. God said, because you said that, he said, the way I'm going to talk to you during this dispensation time, I'm going to send to you prophets. And he said, and the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. And I will raise up in verse 18 and I will raise them up prophets like you from among your brethren who will put and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be whosoever will hear will not hear his words, which I speak in my name. I will require it of him. See, he raises up prophets because these prophets are to call systems into accountability. You see, when people live and obey what God says, no need of prophets per se, but when systems are out of order, God sends a prophet into that system to speak justice to those systems. And part of my assignment this week is to come and to let you know that the church must become a prophetic voice in the community again. Because when sacred systems are going astray, somebody has to speak the standard of the word of the Lord. When economic systems are going astray, somebody needs to speak the standard of the Lord. Listen to me, when governmental systems have gone astray, somebody needs to speak the standard of the Lord. And the prophets were the standard bearers. They were the truth tellers. They were the provokers. They were the agitators. They were the one that said, bring all these systems in line because God wants it to go well with all. And the church has lost its prophetic voice. That's why the community is in trouble. That's why the region is in trouble. That's why the nation is in trouble. And yet I believe that God never leaves his people without a prophetic voice. So I read from this prophet Moses this morning that says, I want it to go well with all. You see, when you and I do good, it goes well with all. Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. And if you look with me as we close and pass Ray, you can now come in Jeremiah 22. Jeremiah was prophesying during a time that there was a decline in the two nations that had been formed, Israel and Judah. 
Two tribes remained south after the formation of the nation. After Rehoboam split the kingdom in Jeroboam and Jeroboam took tribes and they went north and formed a kingdom, made Samaria their capital. Uh, Rehoboam stayed south, made Judah his capital. Both sinned in the sight of the Lord. But hear me and hear me well. God sent prophet after prophet to them and Jeremiah prophesied to them. And here's what Jeremiah says. He says in Jeremiah 22, 15 and 16, he says, shall you reign because you are enclosed in your cedar? A fine house. Did not your fathers eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? And it was well for him. He says he judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then. It was well. He says, was not this knowing God? What a question. He says in verse 15 and 16 of Jeremiah 22. After he has now noticed that they're building lavish houses. They are sealing them up with cedar. They are paneling them and painting them. He says, Did I bless you because you had all of these things? He said, is that what caused it to go well with you stuff? He said, no, it went well with you because when you did justice and righteousness, wasn't it well in the community? Think about Ferguson. Think about the events in Florida. Think about all these things that have happened to people. And when there's a perversion of justice and righteousness among people, large scale. Dry kindling is laying in the earth. The young man that was shot down in the street was not a perfect man. But when there's kindling laying in the street, sometimes one spark will cause everything to blaze. And he said, man, when you do right by people, doesn't it go well? When you do justice, doesn't it go well? He says this, he says, man, listen, when you remembered the poor, didn't it go well? In other words, you gave to the poor and didn't even miss what you gave. Didn't it go well? We did an outreach at our church and we had the YMCA where we went down to the men's YMCA shelter. These are men, many of whom were coming out of incarceration. Many of them have done so much damage that their families could not even receive them back. So there's a program in our YMCA that said that we'll give them an address so that they can get card and ID and those kinds of things. And those men were going out and trying to get jobs, but they only had the issue that they got from the prison. We decided that we would make that one of our outreach areas. We determined how we were going to do that. And we asked the case managers what's needed. They said these men at least need a suit and some hard shoes and a shirt and a tie so they can look well with their interview. They said some of them can't afford to go to the barber. If you have some barbers in your church, uh, have them come down and cut some hair and shave and shape some beards. They said 
Uh, when, 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 when we started and we said, OK, we're going to start it. And then I have some university professors and they said, well, you know, Columbus State University has a program for people that have coming out of incarceration and they will take them through a six hour program and get them a certification in warehouse management and warehouse uh, work. And if they get that certification, they can go and drive a forklift. They can go and go to work. And one of the greatest ways to break recidivism in our state, we found out, is to get a man a job when he gets out of prison. Sometime when you have so many numbers behind your name, you put in an application here and you get canceled out because you have a number behind their name. And all of us got together, the people in the community that have benevolence heart. And then the church got together and we found out that when our men, we said, men, we need to buy some suits. And they said, buy them before we buy them, pastor. Why don't you ask people to bring in some suits? So I said, let's bring in some gently used suits or some of you might even have new suits. I was amazed that they said they had a hundred men. We had 220 suits come in, most of which still had the tags hanging on. Hanging up in somebody's closet that had never been worn. See, I found out when we minister to the poor, most of the time we don't even miss the stuff that we give out. Barbers came in and trimmed guys up. We went out the next day and did outreach. And when we go out and do outreach, we wear these blue shirts that say Ray McChristian Center, gone fishing on them. That's what it says. And it says gone fishing because we hang a big sign on our church because there's no church on that Sunday. And it says gone fishing. And it has on it Matthew 4:19. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so we go out in the community on Saturday all day long, hang this big sign on church. Folks come up. They say they're in the church today. Oh, no, we gone fishing today. But we're not going to Hoover Dam and Alum Creek. We're going out there in the community. And we were out there in the community and one, a man walked up to us and he had on a suit and some shoes. And I said, and he, and, he, and he came up to us and he said, hey man, he said, y'all are those folks that came down to the Y yesterday. And I said, we sure are. He said, I put on the suit that you gave me and I came to church, but y'all wasn't there today. He said, I got a job interview tomorrow. And then he kissed the lady's hand and he shook another brother's hand. And he said this, thank you for being Jesus in the community. Do you know that God wants it to go well with all? And this week, I want to give you some tools to build community. See, these tools will help build our community of the church. So that there's no lack among us, but it just can't be no lack among us. I want to see this spill out into the greater community and God has shown us how to do it. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Father, right now we sit in this place and father, it's a place of worship. And for this, we give you thanksgiving father in this time. It's such a sensitive time because we know there's so many needs in the community and father, we may not know how to get them all taken care of, but we know with the team of God and us, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Father, you not only speak to the individual, but you speak to the community and father, we have experienced a building and a recognition and an esteeming of the church now because we're building community again in our community. Oh, father, let that transfer here. Because, Father, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Even this morning, Father, as we said in this place, there are many people that have many kinds of needs. But we know no matter what the need, you want it to go well with all. 
Father, there may be people that are disconnected from you and they've experienced the Genesis 3 syndrome where they're listening to the wrong voice. And Father, they're lost. They're convicted. They are depressed. They are anxious because they don't know their purpose in the earth and they don't know their eternal destiny if they die. Oh, Holy Spirit, please come and convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment over these next few moments. And Father, we pray that for the rest of us, we'll be stirred up all week so that we can build community so that it can be well with all. Father, help us in this effort by your spirit in Jesus' name.